0: Well, each vendor uh, either didn't get to those reports at all, they said, I, we ran out of time, but trust us, those reports are terrific, <laughs> or they didn't even have them available in the system to see. And I realized, I had an epiphany, and I realized when I got the team together afterwards, I said, how many of you guys found that, those demos to be useful? And they all went, no, it was boring, it was painful, they didn't know anything about us, they didn't get to the stuff we were really interested in. I said, well, guess what? We have been doing the same exact thing to our customers. We have to take our traditional demos and literally turn them upside down.
1: Hello everyone, this is George Soto and you're watching Demo Diaries. Today I'm joined by Peter Cohen, who is an author, coach, and principal at Second Derivative. And Peter, how are you?
0: I'm tr- doing very well. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing fantastic. I can't complain. I'm in Miami, Florida, and the weather's great. And, you know, I spent a lot of time in uh, the Bay Area. And, you know, I love the Bay Area, don't get me wrong, but I love the ability to just walk on my uh porch and just get sun you know just i was born here so you know it's nice to nice to come back but uh why don't you take a quick second to introduce yourself tell us a little bit about your career background and uh how you got into this whole demo thing
0: so i was born in a log cabin in 1862 wait that's the wrong origin (laughs) story sorry about that um many years in enterprise software I actually degree in chemistry which nobody cares about the first person on earth i believe to successfully freeze dry beer but that's another whole story think about backpacking um... <clears throat> founded this business uh... in two thousand and three uh... But I actually had a little bit of an epiphany in the previous business i was the president of a business unit um, that i built from the ground up uh... took it from a an empty spreadsheet into a $30 million operation over a period of about five years. And we had invited in a series of vendors, because we were looking at CRM systems, and each vendor asked for about two hours or more for demo meetings. They asked for us to have everybody present, so often had six or eight or ten people present in these meetings. And each vendor did a linear approach to their demonstration which means that they started off in a CRM system, in their systems, by entering a new record, cloning the record, doing a marketing campaign, doing more campaigns, adding new things, um, moving a sales process through the individual steps. And then finally, they got, at the end of their demos, to reporting and um, dashboards that one would use to actually run one's business. Now, at the time I was president, I was also running uh, the sales organization. And the one thing that I wanted out of a CRM system as a head of sales is what? What do you think?
1: Mm, I would say I, what comes to mind is accountability and, uh, and then tracking, performance tracking. So I think that rolls up to reporting.
0: There, there you go, and in fact, as a head of, head of sales, what you're interested in is the current forecast and the pipeline, and then insights into which opportunities are solid, which do you need to focus on, and then the ability to be able to coach your team um, to their strengths and weaknesses and so forth. Well, each vendor uh, either didn't get to those reports at all. They said, I, we ran out of time, but trust us, those reports are terrific. <laughs> or they didn't even have them available in the system to see. And I realized, I had an epiphany, and I realized when I got the team together afterwards, I said, how many of you guys found that, those demos to be useful? And they all went, no, it was boring, it was painful, they didn't know anything about us. They didn't get to the stuff we were really interested in. I said, well, guess what? We have been doing the same exact thing to our customers. We have to take our traditional demos and literally turn them upside down. And try to understand what is it that the customer is looking for as the output, as the deliverable from our offerings, and present those first right up front, right away. And if those resonate, then the customers will get engaged, they'll get interested, they'll ask questions about, hey, how do you generate that? Can I make changes? And that is exactly how the methodology actually came about so there's a combination of a little bit of history and the founding story if you'd like all wrapped into one that was in uh, 2003 by the way
1: awesome wow you've been in it for quite a long time it's really interesting to say 2003 and then notice that we're in 2021 because that 2003 i was in college uh so yeah
0: i like awesome. to think i'm still in college
1: <laughs> <laughs> well i i am 40 and i st- look like I'm 13 and if I shave forget it you know I get card to go to to a movie but let's talk a little bit about the perfect demo environment you know this is something that folks are constantly and I didn't know but you know I kind of understood that the demo was difficult as a rep in the past but I didn't know that getting that perfect demo environment was such a challenge what is that in in terms of uh you know infrastructure and look and feel, in in your opinion.
0: Terrific topic. topic. So the perfect demo environment is a combination of uh, the data that you have in the system, the relevance of the data, if you will, to the prospect that you're speaking to right now or you expect to speak to, uh, and the nature of that data. So if we look at each of those, um, maybe let's take the middle one first. So the nature of the prospect. uh, if you want to have relevancy and if you want to connect with your customer, it's going to be very difficult if you are presenting manufacturing data, for example, to somebody in finance. They're going to look at that and say, well, that's, that's just not us. It's unbelievable. And one of the purposes of a demo, if you will, is to suspend disbelief. But I'll say it again. You want mm-hmm. to suspend disbelief. So anything that appears to be fake or not real actually hurts your cause. So if you've got manufacturing data uh, and you're talking to somebody in finance or banking, you need to change it if you want to have relevancy and you really want to connect. So that's, that's an example of the second thing. Uh, and I would comment that any uh, demo enablement tool that makes it possible for that to be done uh, easily uh, is, uh, well, you have a fan in me, for example. How's that for a plug, by the <laughs> way?
1: <laughs> I love that. Suspending disbelief
0: suspending disbelief mm. that's what it is it's, it's an interesting comment that we all use the, the word demo but what demo actually mm. translates to in, in a prospect's mind is fake if it's a demo it's not real mm. it's a demo that's why that's a, a t- one of the very small reasons why so many people want to do a proof of concept or proof of value because they don't believe that the demo is actually real enough so yeah we wanted to s- suspend disbelief um the data itself, the data has to be realistic in addition to relevant. So realistic. Um, how many times have you ever seen demo data that, for example, reflected uh, major sports figures or actors and actresses or, um, or other famous notable personalities as the names for, for customers or prospects in a database? How, how often have you ever seen that?
1: Yeah, I've, I've seen it, yeah. That's, uh... And
0: what it's… But it screams to the customer well, this is kind of fun because, oh, it's, you know, X, Y, and Z people. But it also screams very clearly this is not real data. Not real, it's yeah. obviously fake. And mm-hmm. so a small recommendation is to make your data look as realistic as possible. In fact, one terrific source for that uh, could be whatever your QA department uses to actually test uh, your software. So it's quite possible or likely that they actually have test data that's representative. Um, you can buy sets of representative test data, uh, names, addresses, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's quite possible they actually have the data that you might wanna use. So realistic looking data would be number, uh, well, it's number one on our list of these three items. So big, before I go on, any comments or questions on that?
1: No, I mean, that makes total sense. It reminds me of when I log into like free trials, or demo environments, and they literally have John Doe, Acme, you know, all that. And I'm like, okay, I get it, but to your point, the data is not speaking to me. I, I automatically think, okay, well, this is not real. Let me see this environment with, first of all, a a decent amount of data. Right? Like I logged into a system, when was it? Uh, drive the other day, great experience, I love it. I wrote a blog post about product-led pricing and things of that nature. However, I wish that they would have added more data. It was, they just had like one cell of data. And if you know their CRM, it's um, it's kind of like these columns, right? Very similar to a uh, Trello or whatnot. So that that totally makes sense to me. In your opinion, Peter, why do demos fail like, you know, and, and what happens when they do?
0: Well, let's, let's finish the third category and then we'll answer that question. Sure. By the way, um, and this is something that a lot of early stage companies will do is they'll, they'll have many, many records that say test. It'll say test one, test two, uh, user one, user two, which again, screams fake to the customer. The moment you've got test in there, it's not real by definition. Um, The third area of data is you need to have um, problems to solve, uh, opportunities to uh, exploit, and exceptions to explore, if you will. Um, I don't know how often you've seen uh, dashboards, for example, where everything just looks fine, everything's okay, everything is in the green. Well, if that's the case, why does the customer need to change? So one needs to think about if you have, for example, if you have time series, you want to show, uh, do we have a decay going on where things are getting worse and worse? Or do we have something bad that happened, either is something that dropped out or there was a spike of performance in some reason that we need to investigate? So the data has to have um, these issues that need to be investigated. So those are the three areas one can think about, is, is the data needs to be real, the data needs to be relevant, and the data needs to reflect reality, if reality. you will. So how's how's that for now?
1: Yeah, that sounds uh, that you know. As I think about it, and I keep envisioning CRM systems where I've spent the last 15 years, uh, in that uh, that makes sense. If it's all green, it doesn't really reflect reality. If it's all everything's all one, right? Show me the lost ones. Show me the issues. So that definitely, definitely. Uh, Resonates. Thank you. You really have an interesting perspective on this. You know, I've talked to, I'm going to say 60 people in the last two months. We're now recording, I don't know, Demo Diaries episode, maybe 40 or something. And this is probably one of the most uh, unique conversations I've had in, in, just in terms of your perspective on this, really getting into the details. And I think like, we just don't think about that. And I think that might be certainly one of our problems speaking of problems like i was asking earlier like why do demos fail
0: why do demos fail where can we begin um (laughs) let's take let's take the traditional overview demo which uh which you guys are actually trying to help replace with something that might be um uh more consumable for the customer traditional overview demos often start with the following phrase it's scheduled for let's say let's make it an hour just for kicks Um, scheduled for an hour, and there's a kickoff by, in many cases, a salesperson does a stunningly awful corporate overview presentation. By the way, that's fail number one because the customer wouldn't have invited you to invest his time if they hadn't done at least the reasonable amount of due diligence with you as a vendor, so that's not needed. (laughs) And then when the presenter who's going to do the demo begins, he or she says, so I'd like to make this interactive. Stop me if you have any questions. And then what happens next?
1: I'll they just continue to talk. Yeah, right.
0: They do. And in fact, in many cases, what they're thinking is, please don't ask any questions. Because if you do, I'll have to answer them. And that will reduce the amount of time I have. And I've got so much that I have to pack into the remaining 45 minutes of this hour meeting that we have. So that's fail number two, if you will. Fail number one is uh, corporate overview. Fail number two is is a long, linear demo where you're trying to show as much as you possibly can while you have the person on the line. Um, Fail number three is, well, no discovery. And that's sort of intimated in uh, in many of these overview demos. Um, In the world of medicine, uh, if a surgeon simply opened you up without ever doing diagnosis and said, you know what, let's just open them up and explore and see what we find. There's a name for that. What is that called?
1: Malpractice? (laughs)
0: Malpractice, exactly that. (laughs) So why would we think in the world of sales and buying processes that uh, inflicting a demo, inflicting a proposed set of features and functions on somebody where you have no understanding of their situation and their needs, their, their environment, uh, is anything other than malpractice. So that would be, I would suggest, fail number number three on that list. Let me pause there and ask questions, comments, observations on that.
1: Yeah, you know, on, on the third piece, in terms of discovery, how do you sort of weave in that discovery without spending too much time on, on discovery, especially when the product is available and you know it was scheduled as a demo and the prospect really wants to see the product
0: so this is we teach a concept called vision generation demos which are designed specifically to achieve those two objectives if you will so objective number one is to recognize that the prospect Uh, is expecting to see a demo and and what they really want is just enough for them to get a sense of what's possible. It's the art of the possible. Um, Yet at the same time what the vendor really needs to do is to number one, satisfy the prospect's desire to see a demo, but number two, execute sufficient discovery so that the ultimate demo can actually address that prospect's specific situation. So a vision generation demo is exactly that. It's just enough of a demo for the prospect to say, oh, mm-hmm. okay, I can see where this could go, and I'm interested in learning more, but it opens a prospect up and makes a prospect willing to actually have the conversation about his or her specific situation prior to a, uh, could be a guided demo um, using a tool like Reprise. It's more likely a second demo is actually going to be custom built uh, and delivered by human but I would comment that that vision generation demo is a rep, is an opportunity for automation or you might say uh, guided automation um, far too many over <laughs> far too many sales and pre-sales resources are consumed in these half hour 45 minute or hour-long overview introductory demos that frankly could be done as the demo portion in about six minutes mm. and turn the whole balance of the call into uh... discovery conversation with even the possibility for the highly transactional sales cycles of actually doing a focused we call technical proof demo before the end of that that call you could contemplate for product led or product uh... friendly <laughs> um, offerings you could easily contemplate a one-hour call that includes Introductions, vision generation demo, discovery, technical proof demo, pricing, negotiation, and close all in an hour. Wow. I want that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, totally. Well, what are some good demo fundamentals that you could share? I know you shared quite a few strategies, but anything perhaps that you haven't touched on that you might want to share with the audience?
0: Well, yeah, a couple. Um, Number one, it's all about the customer. And this is, this is probably the critical focus to keep in mind. It's got to be all about the customer. Uh, we, as vendors, have capabilities that we love and we love to talk about that's in our software. The question you want to always have to ask yourself is does the customer care about that capability? So here's a small tip, just as an example. If you're talking to a customer and you're thinking, oh, you know what, our bifram, you're, Excuse me, our biframulator capability is really, really cool, and I'd love to share it with him. Instead of saying, Hey, let me show you the biframulator capability, introduce it in the form of a question. So, for example, you'd say, So, George, many of the other customers we've worked with in very, very similar situations to what you've outlined for us so far found that the ability to be able to blah, 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 you describe your biframulator capability enabled other customers similar to you to be able to enjoy the following kinds of rewards. Is this something that might also be useful in your practice? And then you respond.
1: Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So if he says
0: yes, you say, (laughs) gave him too many choices. If if George says yes, then you say, well, you have that capability. Would you like to see it now? By the way, you notice I'm giving the customer the choice. Mm. They may say, no, I get it. I don't need it or they might say, yeah, actually, I'd love to see that. By the way, if the customer says, no, I can't see a need for that, then you put that capability in a virtual sense behind your back, Mm. no harm, no foul, you've not, um, are you familiar with the phrase buying it back?
1: No, I don't think so, I know paying it back.
0: Paying it back, no, this is buying it back. Um, Have you ever been in a situation where Uh, When it's time to negotiate that license agreement for the software product, the customer starts to say something like, you know, you showed us a lot of capabilities we're never going to use. So what does the customer ask next?
1: Mm, Discount.
0: Yeah, either take those capabilities out because we don't need them, which you can't do, or we think we need a discount because Mm. we're only going to use 20% of everything that you showed. That's called buying it back. Mm. So the, the little... Trick that I or tip that I just offered is an example of how to introduce capabilities, but without the risk of buying it back. Most vendors believe that value is uh, directly associated with the the number of capabilities that's in their offering. That is not the customer's perspective. What's the customer's perspective?
1: Well, it's uh, they're trying to solve their. Their problem, right? Their business find problem. Their business and, problem, their solution, find a solution to it.
0: And and therefore I only as as the prospect, I only want to pay for the capabilities I need to solve my problem, and the value is associated with the value directly related to solving that problem or the opportunities it opens and so forth. So the value is not associated with a number of capabilities or features, it's associated with which capabilities will enable the customer to solve their problems and the value associated with those gains or changes. Does that, does that all resonate?
1: Absolutely. That's actually a really good segue into your statement around showing the last best thing first. How can folks really apply that to what they're doing today?
0: Yeah, this is, this is the heart of what we train on in our workshops and seminars. Um, let me give an analogy first, and then I, I'll map it back to software. Um, imagine a cooking show. Uh, have you ever seen a cooking show um, on the web or live or whatever where the, um, uh, where the host, the person who's the chef, Uh, starts off by saying, okay, the first thing we're going to do is show you how to peel onions. Then we're going to show you how to chop them very, very finely. Then we're going to talk about how we mill the flour. Then we're going to talk about saute methods. No. Where they start is showing you what? The very beginning of the cooking show. What do they show you?
1: Yeah, they show you the finished product. They show you the end result, the the finished
0: product. And what they're effectively saying is, "If if this looks delicious, Now, the next thing is we can invest time together to share how it is made. So you're showing the what first, and then how, if the customer is interested, if the prospect is interested. So that's the analogy. In the world of software, what you need to be thinking in terms of is, what is the customer going to consume at the end of the workflow? What deliverables are they looking for out of your product? It could be... Let's go, let's do it this way. The higher you go in an organization, so if you're talking to executives, they want reports. I want to know how's my business running, where are the problems we need to solve, where are the opportunities we need to exploit, and where are the exceptions that we want to investigate. Okay? When you're talking so those are reports that could manifest as as uh you know weekly reports or reports that are pushed to somebody's inbox every morning. The reports, their dashboards, um, their things along those lines. One thing executives don't care about is the workflow process to get to those reports. All they care about is that they come to his or her desk, virtual desk. Middle managers are interested in the combination of reports and then task assignment and task management. So we're trying to improve this process. Where is the process right now? Okay, what now digging down a level What actions do I need to take? What actions do I need to assign to the team to enable the improvements we're looking for? If you look then at the staff members, what they're interested in is how easy is it for me to execute this workflow? What deliverables do I get out of this workflow? But in each case, it's still all about understanding from that job title, that specific job title's perspective, what is it that they want out of this this end product, if you will. Does that help? And that's, that's the challenge, is sitting down to understand for your particular software, like Reprise, um, when you're talking to somebody in marketing, they want one set of results, mm-hmm. right? They want, what, well, let's actually do go through it. So for Reprise, if you were pitching to a marketing manager, what would he or she be looking for in terms of the tangible deliverables out of your product?
1: Yeah, increasing conversions, MQLs yeah pqls yep, i know it's a it's a big one now that pql what, is, what was that again sorry the uh, pql the product qualified lead which just you know if it's a product-led motion product meaning, qualified lead. Good. yeah meaning that they were in the product they've seen it they've touched it and now they want to talk to sales
0: excellent so you've got a marketing quality yeah so they're looking at increasing those kinds of metrics so If you have a product like Reprise, the first thing that that person is interested in is is probably what? If it's a manager.
1: Yeah. How many are we we seeing an increase? What's the conversion rate? Those sort of things.
0: Which is generally reflected in a report or a dashboard. Yep. Now, if you were talking to uh, a a head of sales, how would that change?
1: Yeah, well, head of sales is going to want uh, the conversion rates between first call and second call sales velocity to start to increase, right? And, uh, exactly. and then shrink the, uh, the sales cycle.
0: Exactly. Now, if you drill down to whoever, for example, has been charged to put together the demos themselves, the guided demos, that person's output is what?
1: Yeah, is this going to be easy? Can I uh, can I actually do my work now in half or you know fraction of the time?
0: Yeah. If so, I'm so as a as a content creator in this case, I want to know how long is it going to take me to build it, uh, build up a you know a library of example demos. How easy is it to modify them uh, as our products change and so forth? And then as a a, uh, a user, a salesperson, or a BDR, an SDR. They're, they want to know how, is, how easy is it going to be to deploy this demo and work my way through it. Um, how easy is it going to be for me to, uh, at the close of a call, determine you know, where are we with respect to this prospect's process and so forth. So each job title has a different perspective. <clears throat> and the challenge then, of course, is to understand for each job title what does that individual or that individual job title set, if you will, what are they looking for out of out of your offering and then that is the last thing first that you try to present does awesome. that help
1: Absolutely. This was phenomenal. Like My toes are tingling right now. Uh, this was great. Peter, thank you so, so much for your time and for your wisdom and insight. Hopefully, folks can take a lot of, uh, of takeaways from this conversation and start to apply them uh, today. If folks want to learn more about your workshops, your various seminars, your book, uh, what are some good channels or URLs to go in and learn more?
0: Uh, the very best is greatdemo.com, so https slash slash colon greatdemo.com is the very pl- best place. And from there, there's, um, you can contact us directly, uh, info at greatdemo.com. That'll get to me, in fact. Uh, and there's also a handful of uh, articles on our resources page, including one on the perfect demo environment, which we're just referring from or referring to. Uh, drawing from and referring to uh, as well as our blog uh, in which we post ideas and tips and keep the, if you will, keep this method methodology evolving and evergreen. So there you go.
1: Awesome. Peter, have a wonderful day and hopefully we can meet in person and talk more demo and uh, maybe have a a drink or two or have a meal uh, with the team. That'd be a lot of fun.
0: That sounds perfect. Looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely. Well, have a wonderful day. Thank you so much.